Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Walk In GYN Care, Dr. Aditi Gupta. Dr. Gupta made headlines in 2014 when she started a walk-in gynecology center in New York, the first of its kind anywhere. After 15 years of becoming an expert in her field, Dr. Gupta was unsatisfied with various problems in women's access to healthcare services. These included the long periods they had to wait to see a board-certified gynecologist or the insensitive bedside manner of many of the doctors or staff in the healthcare sector. Dr. Gupta took her entrepreneurial spirit and genuine passion for women's health and started her company and is excited to branch out to the rest of the globe and provide women the access they deserve when they need it. Walk-in GYN care is growing like crazy. So Dr. Gupta, my friend, let's get to it. Thank you for being here today. Drew, thank you for having me and thank you for such a wonderful introduction. You said it better than me. Well, that, well, that's to our team. Our team has done uh, wonderful research, and we always hope we got it close to accurate. Um, but I would love to know in your own words, you know, how, where did this come from? Where did this, this kind of dream and desire uh, actually come from for you? So um, goes back to my history. I am from India, um, and I did my med school and residency back in India. Um, and I saw women facing a lot of challenges in terms of healthcare access, delivery, everything, right? There's a shortage of physicians in, in places that they are needed. So women travel for like long distances to get to the tertiary level hospital to get care. So coming from that, when I came to the United States and I saw that this, we had different problems, but at the end, the outcome was the same. There was an access issue. Um, despite, again, this being United States of America, and we are so, we, we have great training, great resources, but it's still uh, access of quality healthcare for women sure. is still an issue. Um, so I was just having this conversation one day with another physician in labor and delivery by, while being on, you know, on an overnight call. And uh, we were like, why, why, are, why do we have to wait for hours? Uh, why do we have to have women wait for hours um, in the emergency room? Um, for a simple urinary tract infection. And then all we do is give them Cipro or whatever and say, go to your GYN. And then the GYN's appointment is six weeks to three months ahead. I mean, if you talk to any woman right now, that's what they'll tell you. Yeah. So I uh, just kind of, you know, I went on vacation um, to my parents um, and that's when I work on, on the business instead of, you know, in the business. So I just started looking at LoopNet and started looking for spaces. And I was like, okay, formed a company through Rocket Lawyer. And it was like, you know, just overnight, stayed up all night for three nights, researching on spaces, researching on how to set up a corporation and all that stuff. And then, um, started looking at spaces, um, found a small space in Manhattan that I could afford, um, beautiful, tiny space overlooking Central Park. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And then my friends are like, are you sure? Whatever I said, you know, I planned for six months. If it doesn't work out, it is what it is, but I have to try. Wow. All right. So yeah, that's how it was born. So let's back up just a minute because you already in, in the description mentioned working on the business rather than just in the business, which is, 
you know, a business concept, right? This is kind of a leadership executive concept that really helps people not get stuck in just doing the work, but actually think critically about the work. Did you already have some kind of business experience or training? Is that something they teach, teach doctors to do? Uh, how did you even fall into that rhythm before you started this company? This is the unfortunate part that doctors are not taught anything about business at all. I, I didn't know I had it in me, but I guess I had some entrepreneurial spirit from seeing my, do, uh, my dad while growing up. I would go to his office, even in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, I would go to his office, answer phone calls, you know, check telex messages. So I kind of imbibed that spirit of independence uh, and taking the risks. Um, as far as on the business, in the business, I did read emails. Uh, maybe that's where I got it from, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm still struggling with that balance because I'm still a practicing physician. So I still have to work in and on both. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, that, well, I'm curious. Do you even know why you read the emails or the emails revisited uh, when you were just a practicing physician? I just love learning, and I was going for these some. Um, some real estate courses with my with my partner and I was just sitting there passively and someone said well you should read emails I'm like, okay so on the flight back I read emails <laughs> and and then a business pops up I mean what right. a great what a great um testimonial for for that practice right yeah yeah, yeah. so when you when you decided to start this business had you ever had dreams of starting a business or was this a new idea to you that I guess I'll readjust my my kind of professional dreams and, and, and incorporate this idea into it. Completely um, was never on my radar to wow. start a business. All I wanted to be is a great physician um, and have women feel comfortable coming to me and provide state of the art care and, and be a great surgeon, which is a part of being a physician. Um, but the business part was really born because I wanted to uh, change the paradigm for women's health. Uh, women who came to see me, I mean, this is a real story that uh, one lady came and said, you know, Dr. Gupta, uh, seeing a GYN is like going on serial dates uh, and you just got to keep going until you find the right one. And with you, I've just found the right um, person. And it's all about compassion and it's all about sensitivity and it's all about the quality of care you give them. Yeah. So she was like, I, I found my partner. I said, wow. Okay. Thank you. Like that's, that's powerful, but that makes me sad that, you know, there's this whole world full of doctors and gynecologists and healthcare delivery systems and women are still not finding the right answer. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that problem exists in the first place? There are lots, it's a complex issue. Um, a lot of it is ignorance, I think, um, in terms of ignorance in healthcare providers. They also don't understand that there is such a problem. Uh, secondly, busy schedules, you know, compassion gets thrown out the window when you have to see 50 patients, um, paperwork, you know, administrative stuff, um, and also lack of really business training and empathy training during our residency. Yeah. So I have a friend, he's, he's the closest thing I have to somewhat of an inside view, uh, who works at a hospital, a major hospital in Atlanta and just getting to know him some, he's, he's still single. He looks at our family as like, uh, a stand-in family for him. So every now and then when he's got a second, he'll come spend the nights with us and our kids. Um, but what I've gathered is that however the system's set up, you are incredibly overworked and in many ways under-resourced. Yeah. And regrettable things like that can happen. Whether whether it's super regrettable like Dr. Error 
or more emotionally regrettable, like not realizing even that maybe you're not providing the compassion in that moment or the listening well enough in that moment because of the, like you said, the, the amount of patients you're seeing, is that something that you would say is what you see as well? We do. I mean, walking divine care has grown tremendously and if in, even my practice is extremely busy. Uh, so yeah, we do care for a lot of women uh, in, in a given day. But that, that's driven me to my, my mission is to standardize stellar service for women all across the country. And that's where I've been working really hard on training my providers and standardizing care and so that women can feel comfortable going anywhere they go and they get the same level of care. Oh, I love that. I love that. So when you, when you set out to start this business, help me understand, uh, not that it's not obvious, but help me understand uh, what you thought this particular expression of a business idea was going to move the needle in terms of, you know, patient care or access or how, how was that going to, how did that work? How, how did it end up working out or how was I thinking in my head? How, yeah. How were you thinking? Yeah. When you came in, you're like, well, people are just going to their, their gynecologist or they're going to the hospital. I'm going to provide what, like a third space where they're, they're able to not be, delayed six months in a, in a resident, in an appointment or, you know, what were you thinking was how it was going to help? I, I basically the, the key was it has to be like a restaurant or a coffee shop, high level, you know, by saying luxurious or high um, standard means for standard of care that we're going to give is going to be very high quality and women should be able to walk in anytime. Doesn't matter if they're gonna walk in three minutes before closing or even one minute before closing. Um, we, we've got to give care. So that's that's where I started. Um, it was hard and very challenging for me to translate that uh, expectation to people who I hired, you know, to work in medical assistants, providers, everyone, because they were used to a set schedule. They were used to, you know, a certain amount of minutes per patient and closing at seven o'clock or whatever. So, so it's been a challenge negotiating that expectation level. Uh, sure. But at this point, because we have established that, you know, that level of expectation, now providers who wanna give that kind of care are seeking us out. So the needle has definitely turned now. I, mm. I would say 360. And so did you have to, just balancing your schedule, did you have to reduce hours somewhere else to put put the hours into building this business and uh, I'm assuming be the, the practicing physician there on site? I did start off as a practicing physician there on site as well. Whereas I had my own full practice still, I was doing obstetrics and delivery in Queens um, at another site. Um, yeah, the balance was, um, I, I can't even tell you how, <laughs> how good or bad. Like I was just on a hamster wheel and kept going. I don't know, I was working maybe hundred hours a week Building, wow. building everything from accounting to uh, legal to electronic medical records and the other systems and recruitment. So all of it, I was balancing. So yeah, I, it's, it's, it's just, uh, you know, you just keep going. When you're building something, you keep going. You don't even stop and think about it. And yeah. I still think about it. Yeah. How, how, how many years ago was that? 2014 was uh, the first walk-in. Okay. And then how long did it feel, how long did it feel like that frantic pace it's where just, you're just working a hundred hours a week still? It still feels like that. Wow. Cause I'm on, okay. I, sh I, I should be fair to myself. Um, 
I have much better control over my time. Um, I know I can slow down if I want, maybe one day a week, but I still keep pushing myself because I want to keep improving. And there's always a new idea in my head. Oh, I should do this. I should do that. So a little bit of that onus goes to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to get back to that in a second, but before that, I'm curious, There's have you ever um, heard of the kind of paradigm or the book, The Startup J-Curve? Uh, yes, but I understand the curve. I haven't heard the book, but I understand the curve. Yeah. yeah. So that idea that early on in the curve, there's the idea. And then when the idea actually meets the customer, it goes through a meaningful morphing stage where you had an idea, but some of it that proved to be what was needed. New information comes along and you morph the product slowly until you really find the fit. And so I'm curious for you, have there been some meaningful uh, reimaginings or uh, shifts that the business model has taken to, to really see your vision come more fully to life? Yeah, yeah, it's been a constant evolution. Um, you know, the basic thing was about the quality of care and access. So the quality has been morphing tremendously over the last few, many years. Um, and a lot of that quality came from educating new women's health providers. So now all our sites are like precepting for women's health um, nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So it's become a very good training ground for people, which is what originally I wanted it to be like a boot camp site, but now it's a slow development, which has really helped everyone go to the next level of care. Yeah. Uh, and, and other things that really happened was I was a lone charger with the, I was the only person with the mission and vision in my head. But over the years, I have built now a core team of people who also believe in the same uh, mission and vision that I believe in. And that has been the biggest game changer for me. Yeah. Talk to me about that. What? When did you start to realize, I think I need more than just myself? Obviously, you are hiring people. But like you said, people that also believe in this and, and maybe carry that standard, that culture, that vision. When did you start to recognize that? And how did you go about building that team? I recognize that maybe six months in or maybe a year in, um, the recognition was there, but it was very hard to find the right people. And I kept, I, I didn't hire like a CEO or CFO or anyone, really ops manager even for almost three, four years. I was just doing it all. Uh, wow. After that, I, you know, I tried to hire a few people and it didn't work out. It just didn't work out hiring them all at the high level of with the title practice manager ops manager whatever but in the last three years or so like i was mentioning the organic recruitment of people who came to us seeking to work at walking gvan care now i've started to help them in in their leadership journey and starting to recruit them young and they are so truly motivated and absolutely like gung-ho about learning new things and cool so that's been the game changer, I would say, in the last two years or so. If you had to guess, why are they coming to you? Those organic walk-ins, in a sense, or the people that are starting to gravitate to say, hey, I actually want to be here early on in my career. Why do you think they're doing that? I think it's word of mouth. It's always word of mouth. Uh, one nurse practitioner or PA works with us, and they talk to their classmates, and then the, the one another comes, another one comes, and and then they go on the website and see the mission, and they really feel, they feel like they want to contribute and be a part of a bigger movement than themselves. Gotcha. Is what I'm about to. Yeah, so they're resonating with the cause, with the mission. I bet my guess would be they're also resonating, resonating with the 
types of learning and experience you guys are able to give them? Do you think that's part of it? Absolutely. Because the, the amount of training and teaching that materials and sessions that we put together for them um, for free um, is tremendous. We, I mean, I have spent a lot of money traveling all over the country to gather that information, to learn. All this was after residency because residency is just a small pot, portion of the pie. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, they're getting a lot of uh, education as well out of it. Well, you mentioned the amount of time and the amount of money you've had to put into all of this, I'm sure. Did you, on the, on the money side, did you do it completely uh, self-funded, kind of bootstrapped, or did you end up having to take invest, out, outside investment to get this going? Bootstrapped. All wow. Of all of it. The first one, as I said, I calculated my six months payroll and rent, and I was like, I'm just going to do it. And then, you know, um, we got busy, then we needed more space. So we expanded to Astoria, which is which was our second location in 2017. Then that funded the third location in Brooklyn, and which we opened actually during the pandemic. And now I'm opening two more, uh, one in Long Island, New York, and another one in LA, California. Wow. I signed the leases. Um, no outside investment yet. Bank loans, yes. Um, you know, for the initial construction part, and then sure. pay them off right away. As Dang. Did you have any? Uh, did you have any oh shit moments with all the money that you had on the line, or did it pay off pretty quickly and start revenue start coming in, and it felt like this is going to work? No, lots of oh shit moments. Yeah. Uh, sleepless nights. How am I going to make the payroll? Those kind of nights. Absolutely. I would be calling the office every hour and say, did anyone come in? Did anyone come in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you handle the stress of that? I mean, you're barely, uh, you're barely recovering and sleeping day to day, right? You're working basically multiple jobs and you've got a whole bunch of your hard-earned money on the line here for this idea. How did you combat the, the stress and the worry? Working out. I work out. That's my therapy. Um, so that I get done first thing in the morning. So that's, that's the good part. And once the day starts, I just keep going. I don't, I don't sit and dwell about, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, okay, what can I do? So I just keep going. Mm, I like that. What about at night when, when often when someone's head hits the pillow and they're not in go mode anymore, sometimes where the, the what ifs and the, the worry can start to invade that, that blank space that it provides. Is that trouble for you or no? Used to be. Uh, I've gotten much better. I'm more um, disciplined now that I'm not going to check my emails once I'm going to bed. That's one. Second, I've started to do a daily check-in booklet in which I just write three things. Uh, what did I do well today? Or what went well today? What didn't go well today? What could I do to be smarter tomorrow? So that really helps me get things out. I like that. Yeah. And then I keep a notebook on the on my bedside in case I wake up with some idea in my head, then I can just write it down and throw it out of my head this way. It's not jumping around and dancing. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's one of my favorite uh, pieces of advice, I guess, or suggestions I'll make for people that struggle with worry is like, you got to get it to live somewhere besides your head. Right. And if, if you wake up in the middle of the night or you can't go to sleep, it's, it's rattling around your head. You need to put it on a piece of paper that you can review tomorrow in the waking hours. Yep. And then let your brain go back to sleep, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm sure you would you would attest to this, but I, I was shocked. The reason why I'm asking about sleep is I was shocked when I talked to a neuroscience friend 
who was telling me, you know, he was the obvious movement, you know, exercise, nutrition, water, sleep are all basic fundamental, you know, building blocks of your energy and your well-being and that kind of thing. And I said, if somebody had to start somewhere, which one would you pick? And for him, it was sleep. And I was so surprised in my mind, I guess, because of my culture, sleep seems like the thing you could do away with the easiest. Yeah, get three to five hours, you know. And he was like, man, I would start with sleep. Mm -hmm. And that was a revolution to me. And I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but could you speak to the importance of sleep? I completely agree with the neuroscientists. Sleep is a recharger. Um, I, I sleep really well, despite what all the stuff that I'm doing, because I do try to follow that discipline of sleeping. Um, but also secondly, being an obstetrician, um, I've learned how to sleep like in two seconds. Wow. Because I would take power naps in liver and delivery in the middle of screaming women, you know, trying to give birth in India. We, I, I could sleep in a stool, on a stool, sit, you know, whatever kind of environment. So this way I can, um, you know, just totally get a power nap. But sleep is definitely the most important and pick one. But second is exercise, really. Yes. Yeah, those are the two I hung on to the most. I'm still, I, I eat much better than I used to. But that's still a journey for me to figure out like, you know, sustainable and what really works well with my body and all that kind of stuff. But the sleep and the exercise have truly changed my life. But you got to be true to yourself and honest to yourself when you're trying to sleep. You can't fake it. Like mm. I call it the shutdown protocol. So follow, have a ritual, have a protocol for yourself, you know, whatever it may be, eating one hour before food and doing the daily check-in and no emails and nightlife, whatever works for you, but have it. Yeah. And you're right. I've experimented over the years. I mean, I can remember all the way back to middle school. Some people listening might feel the same. I can remember all the way back to middle school, not being able to sleep well. Yeah. Like, so as long as my, I, I, as I had waking memory, I remember having a hard time falling asleep. And so about six years ago, I just made it a concerted effort to at least experiment. Like, what could I try differently to calm my mind down or to get a routine? And it changes over time too with kids now and that kind of thing. But I found my current one, which isn't worth sharing here but I found something that works. And I'm so excited because I'm like this somewhat predictably leads me to getting to sleep and staying right. asleep. And that's all I need it to do. Yeah. Well, I can recommend offline some supplements that may help you. Please. Absolutely. I'll, I'll take that any day. Uh, you know, on, on top of that, it sounds like you've got a few anchors, right? You've got exercise in the morning and you've got some sort of reflective activity that it leads towards shutting down quieting down the mind, leaving the day behind, getting ready for tomorrow, and then sleep. Are there any other staples, or is it basically those are the two staples I've got, and everything between is just a, a free-for-all, depending on what the day brings my way? Those two are my anchors. Um, also, biggest anchor, which I recommend for everyone, is do not skip your meals. Um, mm. I learned this lesson half, you know, really, I, I mean, my health suffered, um, Back in uh, med school in India, you know, you're working 80 hours a week routinely. You work three days shifts and then you forget to eat and um, then you get all kinds of problems. So I have been very, very disciplined for last 20 years now to not skip any meals. There is going to be a breakfast. There's going to be a lunch. There's going to be dinner and make that three minutes time or five minutes time to sit down and eat and swallow your food. So. I think that's extremely important. It, Absolutely. Your body needs to do that. It has well, to be a ritual. Well, it's almost like uh, even a little meditative break, whether you're meditating or not. But like you said, you're getting a, a pause. Right. Slow down, take care of yourself, eat for a few seconds, eat for a few minutes, 
um, I don't know if this is in your field of reference or not, but you know, one of the fads right now that I don't have feel one way or the other, I'm curious to get your opinion is the idea of like intermittent fasting where people are skipping meals on purpose. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I personally am ambivalent about it, uh, but there is science now to prove that it helps with weight loss. Um, it does help because our lifestyles as humanity have changed. We are not you know, going out in the fields, having a huge breakfast and then not coming home till the end of the day. It may be intermittent fasting makes sense. But even for the people who do intermittent fasting, follow the process. Like don't mm. be fasting um, till 2 p.m. in the afternoon if you went to bed at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. You know, you have to have your body. A needs- disciplined approach. Yeah. And I would assume the way I've felt it out, or again, I'm not a nutritionist or anything like that. So anytime people ask my opinion, I'm like, pay attention to your body. Yeah. Like if it's working well for you, okay. If it's not working well for you, then adjust it and maybe right. incorporate breakfast again, you know? Right. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Um, as you've thought about just the journey of going from physician to a business owner and a founder, what have been some of the most important lessons you've had to learn with that hat on with the, with the kind of entrepreneur business hat on, what are some of the most important lessons you've had to learn so far? Number one, you're alone. No one, no one is going to get inside your head. And that is still my problem is I I feel like I wish someone could just go inside my head and read it and know what I want, but it's not going to happen. So you are alone in in your brain. You've got to figure it out on how to get it out there so that you can scale or grow or whatever you need. Mm. And some other lessons, be ready to miss important things. Um, in your personal as well as in your family lives, uh, it's going to happen. You know, if you want to make that every party, every get together, everything, it's going to be very tough for you to balance these boats. So you need to be okay with that. Mm. And yes, after the J curve, you get to that point where you will be able to go back into your social life. um, But you have to be prepared for it. Yeah. It feels like the similar advice for any major life commitment, right? Like if you decide to have a partner or get married or you decide to have kids, like, you're inevitably giving something up for a season of time, if not for all of time. But, you know, when I got married, I had to realize I didn't just get to have like guys nights every night. And you're giving that up, even though it's a good trade, I'll take that trade, but I couldn't live in between. Yeah, you, you kind of you have to give that up for a season, right? And then with saying with young kids, like I wish we could travel, but they're so young and man, it'd be more headache than it's worth to go on a plane right now. And so you kind of give that thing up for a while, right? And you have to be okay with that. Exactly. You have to just like, I've accepted this. This is part of what I signed up for. Yeah. Honestly, having a child um, and being a parent is the biggest entrepreneurial journey anyone can take. You are raising a person who's going to be a contributing member of the society. So hopefully you really put all your eggs <laughs> in that basket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say hopefully jokingly because I'm like, man, I got three of them right now. I hope they contribute to society. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I know. We all do our best. But yeah, that's... <laughs> I love it. Uh, what have, have there been, you know, we talked about the e-myth. Have there been any other books or teachers, if you will, whether it was a YouTube talk or someone that you look up to in business or a book you've read, you've also found to be helpful in navigating this journey? You know, for a long time, I didn't really have many resources. A podcast were not such a major thing at that time. Um, so I was just 
scrounging about by myself. Um, Good to Great was one of my favorite books that really helped me um, with it. I don't like 10x concept, whatever is fine, but getting the right people on the bus was really powerful. Mm. Um, and then, you know, connecting with people, friends who um, are entrepreneurs, and it, that's the hardest part. It's very hard to find the right minded people because, especially with me, it was like physicians who don't really get it. So I'm not either a physician, I'm not a full on business owner. Um, I mean, I'm a business owner, but I'm not a, you know, like you have to do both still. Right. So, so that's been a challenge, but now we do have a lot of resources and I'm constantly listening to podcasts. I mean, podcasts such as yours. um, I like few other art of manliness, knowledge project, conversations with Tyler. I I listen to a lot of stuff. Cool. I haven't, man, I forgot about the art of manliness. I used to listen to that a few years ago and really, really liked it. Why, why that one? Just, uh, you know, someone recommended to me years ago and then it's book reviews and it's interesting. I just keep learning new things. So yeah, it's been, it's been great driving Man. and listening. I'll, I'll give you one. I just came across recently that I really like. I get no, I get no kickbacks from this. This is just genuinely, I, I like it. Uh, but uh, the Huberman lab, Dr. Oh. Dr. Andrew Huberman. Okay. I think I he's at, I think he's at a Stanford. Okay. And I really enjoyed his podcast. He did the first six episodes were only on sleep, on the science of sleep. And then from then he's got into everything from uh, managing stress and anxiety or how different foods affect your hormones or whatever. And he's just so practical and research based, but also he's a good, he's a good communicator, right? So it's not boring, like you're in a class kind of thing, but uh, I, I'd like to give him a free shout out on this. He's been a great go-to resource recently. Definitely. We'll look it up. Because a lot of my work is not just business, right? I'm not just talking through business principles. Often it's human stuff, similar to yours. Like we are learning to care for other human beings. And so I just always want to upgrade my understanding of like, all right, what's a better way to handle stress and emotions? Or how do we tick? How do we operate? What drives us? What moves us, right? Um, And so I listen to some stuff like that versus other things that are more specific to business as well. Um, Have you found that to be a big... um, beneficial basically is it when you look back do you, do you realize how beneficial it is to have resources like that, that you can tap into versus feeling like everything is figured out yourself yeah um absolutely i feel it's beneficial i mean i'll listen to one podcast or read a new book and then i'll you know have one to to do thing like recently i just read annie duke's uh, decision um how to make what's the title decision about, about the decision yeah she's the poker player right poker player yeah so we did a book club call on that and um, it was it was great. And it's like, there's so many concepts in the book that you can apply like just today. Mm. So um, now now it's much easier to find those books. But when I was starting out, it was it was a challenge. So you mentioned being doing a book club. Have you found some kind of community that you're, you're learning with right now? Yes, yes. So I, I don't know if you read, but I was a presidential leadership scholar for 2019. I did not see that. Yeah, so so we I'm running the book club for for that our friends community there. So it's been great. So now we have a discipline and we do it once a month and we pick these leadership and human human skills based books. Cool. So once a month you guys are, are meeting to discuss that month's book. Is that how it works? Yeah, we we all read the book and they they call me the dictator because I'm like 
we got to read this book. We got to keep on the schedule. You know, that's just... <laughs> Somebody, somebody's got to whip everybody in line, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, life gets in the way. Everyone's extremely busy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where I, it's interesting. You said, cause that's where I wanted to go next is, is I'm just curious, how do you balance so much on your plate? Like you have not just quantity of things, but you have high quality of things, like patient care, doctors and physician demands on you as well as business demands for sorting out accounting and payroll or making hiring decisions or whatever's still on your plate. You may have delegated some of that, but uh, how do you manage the amount of demands on you right now? Have a plan. You've got to have a plan. Um, whether it's a weekly plan, daily plan, monthly plan, you've got to have a plan and you've got to stick to it. Uh, what I've been teaching my team now is allocate certain amount of hours that I'm just these two hours today, I'm going to do X. And if you run out of time, then abandon the task and move mm. on to the next. Otherwise you will just keep bouncing in and out, in and out of emails. You open the email and you'll get lost in the emails and then the things don't happen. I've gotten this thing for my team. I don't, I know this is a audio podcast, but this is called plan of attack Yeah. with, with only like four items which say most critical would be nice. And then there's a not a chance thing at the bottom. Yes. So it's like my, my 10 year old niece gave me this. She's like, Oh, I'm sure she, she needs it. I said, good, this is great. So now I've gotten books for all my team. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Uh, imposing some order yeah. to things that all present themselves as equally important in yeah. air quotes. Right. And you've got to, you know, what my partner uses this, I haven't found it as helpful, but he really likes it. Uh, it's called the Ivy Lee method and same idea. You basically take six, I think at the end of the day, you review what you did, but then you, you, you write down the six most important things that you feel need to get done tomorrow. Yeah. And then you start at the top and you don't go to the next one until the first one's finished. And you, if you get through all six, great. If you only got through three, those three get in consideration for tomorrow's right. top six. And it just provides some kind of order. Like I at least know the six things that are most important coming into the day. Absolutely. And I, 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 love putting boxes next to each task because when you check that off that is the most satisfying thing in the world yes you definitely feel that uh, like that relief or that that maybe a serotonin or dopamine hit of i did it i did something today yeah that's awesome yeah we've even used um what is the name of it? i have it pulled up right here we're using ClickUp. that's been okay. a new that's been a new software that our team is using again i get no I've been seeing ads for it. Do you like it? Really like it. Yeah, we basically taken, we had three or four different systems we were using. So I had to go to here for this. And I had to go to here for this. And we tasked one of the guys on our team to integrate it all into ClickUp. He went and did the research. and was like, I think actually we can bring all of this. Our, our sales CRM, our communication, our, our to-dos can all be here. And so we're still working out some of the kinks of like, well, how does that part work? But for the most part, I now have, they, they gave me Drew's, deal you know drew's dashboard and i just click on mine and anything that's been assigned to me shows up right there and it's broken up into executive task or a sales task or whatever and i can click on that deal and it tells me what i'm supposed to do i can say in progress i can check it when it's done and that's been so helpful that i, I used to have note cards everywhere I'm like shoot i forgot where my to-dos were and now i just go to my dashboard that's great. holy crap and it and it automatically updates the team You're like, right yeah that's good we tried Monday.com for a while, but it really got uh, extremely chaotic. So yes. 
abandon that. We're right. always working towards simplicity. You can't you can't solve complexity with complexity. Exactly. Right? Yep. So uh, that's why I'm hesitant right now. I'm like, we're, we're in the first few months of it right now. I really like it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes after that. But so far, our, our idea was to simplify because we had too many right. systems and we wanted something to answer that complexity with simplicity to have it all in just one one place that you get right. kind of adept at. Right. Um, so that's super helpful. You know, on top of that, did you ever face the emotional difficulty of delegating tasks, the emotional difficulty of giving up control as as you brought in leaders and as you said, all right, it's no longer my to do. It's now, you know, this person's to do. Was that challenging for you as a business owner? Very good question. And yes, um, challenging for sure. Even now it gets challenging. I'm getting much, much better. And um, I call I've taught my team how to close the loop. Um, so basically there has to be a complete loop. So I'll delegate to them. They'll perform the task. They'll ask for feedback and then I'll approve or not. Or most of the times I'll go back in that loop and tell them, what do you think? Mm. That has been extremely helpful in giving them control over their decisions and also checking their work and think, you know, taking ownership pretty much. So you're asking that question when in the review in the review stage of that cycle? Yep, in the review stage, I was so um, you know overly controlling. I guess controlling in the way because I just knew everything. I still know everything about everything that works in the business. Yeah. So I I would be like jumping into the email chain and just answering the question. And now I last few years I've stepped back and I'm like they'll figure it out. If they don't figure it out and they come back to me or I'll ask them another question, then I'll give them the answer. But that's helping them grow as well. So um, getting much better at that. What what forced it? Did you finally hit a bottleneck where you realized in order for us to grow beyond this, I have to have more capacity, meaning more other people should be taking some stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm very clear about my vision in the way that I have to standardize it, I have to take it across the country. Um, I need people, the right team on the bus. Yeah, that's usually the part that finally starts to show up to us founders that stares you in the face is, all right, this is not just emotional. Logically, I cannot expect this thing to keep growing if I'm having my hands on everything. So at some point, you have to override that emotional issue or even ask, why why am I having a hard time with this? Is it my instincts are telling me this person I currently have isn't trustworthy? Okay, well, let's get somebody more more capable in there? Or is there no good reason other than I'm just used to doing it and I feel some sense of secure feeling that I know I'm going to do it well? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because we all know that we can do it well or we think we can do it well. But the other side of this is, you know, we don't want to be abdicating our responsibilities and just assuming that they're going to take care of it. Yes. I've been burned that way too, is when I tried to step away too much, I had trust in whatever my manager and I assume that things are getting taken care of because I'm not being copied on the emails because I was killing, kicking myself for being the micromanager. Didn't work out. So at some point you have to get in the loop and acknowledge that the loop has been completed. Yeah. Well, that's, that's beautifully said because in the abdication role, you're playing no role, right? So you went from being the only person doing it to now I'm playing no role in it versus just changing the role. So now the role is I'm, I'm the person who's coaching you. I'm the person who's going to verify, trust, but verify. Right. And, and now you're, you're still intimately involved, but at a more scalable, in a more scalable position, yeah. right? Oh, so interesting. 
Now, when we talk about scale, you've done a, a, a fantastic job of taking one location and, and now multiplying it to, it sounds like three, four locations with more on the horizon. How do you go about judging one when you think it's time to bring a new location? And then two, where the right location should be? Um, so these locations that I have, I always wanted to have one in those areas because I knew there was a need. Um, Astoria, professional women, everyone was moving there. No GYN, no good GYN place there. So I had been looking in that area. Moving forward, I uh, do do my, still do my own loop net analysis or what have you, but the broke, have the brokers send me like all of the foot traffic and daytime traffic and demographics and all that. I go personally to that location and I drive around and walk around and I talk to business owners nearby, make friends. That's just what I do. And that gives me a great sense of the flow as well as, you know, the community there. Because yeah. we are all about community. And you you have to be a part of the community to do what we do. Like women's health, they're gonna talk to each other. Women are gonna talk to each other. So makes total um, sense. Yeah. On the on the logistic or not logistics, on the on the finance side or the resource side, do you look at like all right, the business gets to a certain level of profitability or money in the bank. Is there some trigger point when you're like, I, I know this is the right place, and now I also know this is the right time, that we, we have the cash to go start that? How do you, how do you think about that? Um, I Usually, I would say I start to look when first one is six months in. Uh, sometimes it's too early. Sometimes it's, uh, it's not. It depends on how the location does. For example, Brooklyn, we opened in the pandemic and it got busy right away because hospitals were swamped and you know women needed care. So, so that really went on a quick trajectory. Otherwise, I am like that entrepreneur who just keeps looking and keeps looking. So I don't really wait for something to happen. Like, oh, I'm gonna give myself a year and I'm gonna wait for this to turn. So that is maybe a flaw in me. I don't know. But, I, it, it seems to be working so far for you. Yeah. So, you know, like California, right now I'm in the middle of launching two locations um, at the same time. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. I was just genuinely curious how you thought about it because it, it's working for you so far. You know, there's there's the idea of leverage and then over leveraged. Right. Is the only thing that comes to mind. Like each time if we play, do it properly, you're adding leverage. But at some point you can almost get over leveraged where. Which is a risk. Yeah, I, I know I'm taking so. Again, I always calculate the worst case scenario. And I was like, if I can live with the worst case scenario, then okay, we'll do it. Cool. Does that help you with increasing, I guess, your risk tolerance? Yes. Yes. Um, I always know the red flags and the negative things to look for. But now I've also gotten more discipline in actually documenting that and writing that in my journal um, and go with red flags first. So that I, I'm like, okay, I knew it. I wrote it down. Hmm. And now I just have to decide, you know, whether it's worth that red flag or not. Give me an, what do you mean when you say a red flag? So for example, let's look at the California location, right? Um, the red flag is everyone's running away from LA. Well, not everyone, but there is a big exodus, right? Yeah. Um, and we don't know the Delta variant is coming. We don't know what's gonna happen there. 
And here I'm trying to open a new office in the middle of all this. So I wrote down those red flags. But the pros are LA is LA, it's like New York. It's always gonna be busy. People are still gonna be there. So women still need care. So, you know, we're hoping that we'll continue to <laughs> provide care. And the other red flag is hiring. I, I may have problems hiring staff because again, people are leaving and the wages are going higher. I'm having problems hiring here too. So, um, but documenting that, being aware of it rather than just pretending they don't exist is, is what we need to do. And so then once you document it, do you just go through a process of, of kind of vetting that concern? Like, am I right that there's a real concern and just kind of work with that? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I know these are real concerns. So it's not like, you know, they don't exist, but sure. I have to weigh how much risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, everything's a trade-off, right? Like, I was thinking about that today. Any decision you make, you're making some trade-off. Yeah. The, the, the question is, do you know what the trade-offs were and are you cool with the cost? Yeah. If you are, you can move on with peace. You know, right. I made the decision. I knew that it could cost me this. If it ends up costing this, I'm okay with it. I made that decision. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Tim Ferriss was somebody I listened to. Are you familiar with Tim Ferriss? Yeah. He's someone I'll check in with time to time and just see who he's interviewed and we'll be like, oh, I want to hear him and Josh Waitzkin. That's always a good conversation. And that one in particular I was listening to recently and they were talking about evaluating ideas by first attacking the assumptions not in order to kill, but to test. And so he has a series of questions he'll ask himself or ask somebody that came to him, like, hey, this business idea, is this a good idea? And one, one question I'll ask is, what assumptions are you making? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what's built, what assumptions is this idea built on? And then he'll say, all right, how sure are you in those assumptions? How can you verify it, right? And I love that because I'm like, man, underneath everything we feel, think, or do is usually some kind of assumption. Yep. And then you, if you document the assumptions, you can go back and look at them and like, this was my assumption. Is this true? Did it turn out okay? Not yep. okay, whatever. Yeah, you got into yeah. business saying, I, I am assuming women would like A, B, and C. And yeah. then you started it and you get to test that assumption. Well, they're showing up. I think, they're, I think my assumption was right. I assumed they want on-call service and no one takes advantage of it. Well, I was wrong about that. I mean, making stuff up, right? right. Be like, yeah. I was wrong about that assumption. Kill it. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's rework with the data that we're getting. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Now we haven't talked about this, but have you been able to, I know we, we accepted the cost. I can't have as much personal life and all that kind of stuff, but I also know that some form of personal life has got to be critical to overall just enjoyment of life. What, what are you able to have outside of multiple jobs? Are you able to have a weekend? Are you able to have some get togethers, things like that to keep you uh, not just in work mode all the time? Yeah, I do. Uh, I try to be disciplined that way. Like if I'm with my niece and nephew, um, we'll have focused time. I will not even look at my phone. Uh, here I'm trying to teach them not to use their phone. So I'll make sure the phone's not there and that those six hours are for them. Same thing if I'm with my partner or we've decided to do something, then I will put my phone face down and not look at stuff. Mm. Something I had to learn when I met my partner 10, 12 years ago, I would be watching uh, a movie and folding laundry and checking emails at the same time. So he was like, well, this is not gonna, <laughs> this is not gonna fly. So if you're watching a movie, you gotta watch a movie. So these forced disciplinary habits definitely give me a break. Come on, man. That was just a coaching call I had with somebody today. I was like, if you don't have natural boundaries, because this person was in working in an office all the time now they're now they're leading their company from virtual 
I'm like, you're going to have to instill boundaries, yeah. right? You used to have natural boundaries where you got in your car, you left your house, that right. creates a boundary. Right. And then you left the office, you drove home, that creates a boundary. Now okay. they're gone. Exactly. Yep. So it doesn't mean you have to live boundaryless. It just means you have to be intentional and then be disciplined to stick to it. Right. That after eight o'clock or whatever it is, like I don't check my email, right? Yeah. Or even mentally, that's the hardest thing is, is you could be somewhere in your head that isn't right here. Yeah. And I found my loved ones pick up on it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think I'm getting away with it. Like similar to your example of folding clothes while trying to watch a movie or whatever. I was moving in this like eight years ago, moving into an apartment with my wife. And I'd taken the day off in air quotes, if you're listening, taking the day off to move in. But at one point she kept asking me, are you really here? Are you really here? I was like, yes, I'm right here. And then she stopped and she said, Hey, you either need to help me move in or you need to go to work, but you can't do both. I was like, I'm right here. Like I was getting mad. And she goes, you've been sweeping the same <laughs> part of the floor for like 10 minutes. I know you're not here, you know? And it just stuck with me as an axiom. Like if I'm okay. here, I need to be here. Yeah. If I'm there, I need to be there. So pick one. I can either be here or there, but I got to pick one. I can't be in both places. Right. Absolutely. I also highly, highly recommend that because as you said, with the pandemic and everything, our spaces have just become fluid. There's no break. Try to even have a designated corner um, for work. If yes. you need to, if you need to even put like books or something to create a partition so that you step away from it, in the evening or whenever you don't step back in you've got to create some kind of physical change yes oh man i got i'm fortunate even though it's not ideal but you can tell where i am right now i'm upstairs above the garage at my house and my my work from home place but i tried to work downstairs where there's better light and there's whatever but it's like my, my living space it's where the kids might be it's where i'm used to watching tv or whatever and i stay up here as best I can until I have to, like, until I can come downstairs, right? Like, unless I take a walk or grab a quick bite to eat, I, it's like, I need to stay in this space to stay in work mode. But the, the gift is when I walk downstairs and I close that door behind me, I'm done guys. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we can play, we can do dinner time, whatever. And I had to early on find that, that balance. Otherwise I was dying. Oh, very good. Glad you recognize that in time. Well, it was kind of forced. Like I was dropping balls on the work side and I was dropping balls on the family side and no one was happy. And it was like, all right, well, then we're gonna have to create some kind of, like you said, a partition, like some kind of designated area and time and space that is for this, that no one's, no one's expectations are upset because I told you I was gonna be working then. And then I also can't be working while I'm home and they'll call, my kids will call me out on it so fast. <laughs> Literally. It's they'll, they'll, like the other day I was on the, I was, uh, sending a text message and my daughter's eight came and put her hand on top of the phone and she goes you said you were done for the day that's so cute that's like, right. Good right. <laughs> but daddy's doing important stuff she doesn't care she's like you said you were done for the day i'm like you're right you're right i did tell you i was done for the day so here we go phone down good that's awesome well friend i told you that we would be done in a in 45 minutes and we're right up on that time so i want to get to our lightning round questions Otherwise, I could chat with you all day, which is a good sign. Um, let me pull them up here. Okay, question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? It's temporary. That's, that's what I teach a lot of um, even my residents and people who I you know, teach and the team. Sometimes people get bogged down by... Um, 
either the minutia or the failures that they see in front of themselves or even just a very busy waiting room. And I always tell them it's temporary. It's at the end of the day, time is a powerful tool and it's going to pass. Mm. You know, it's, it just depends on what you do with it, but it's going to pass. Believe in that. I love that. That's, that's probably my, my dad doesn't spit out a lot of axioms, but the one I've heard him say most over the years is this too shall pass. Yeah. Whether, whether good or bad, I, I, I immediately kind of took to it on the bat. Like if it was suffering or if it was a tough time, you're like this too shall pass. Yeah. And even on the great stuff. Yeah. It's all like, temporary. It's all temporary, man. Even your success. Like I don't remember last year's Super Bowl winner, but I remember caring in the moment. Yeah. Now I don't remember it yeah. passed, <laughs> you know, Oh, it's so good. All right. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Uh, so best advice was getting the right people in your foxhole, <laughs> getting the right people in the, bu- on the bus, mm-hmm. um, which I'm working on. And the worst advice was how are you, you should wait for a better opportunity. Because when I did start the first one, it was not an ideal location. It was small space. And, you know, I knew we needed to, we will, we may outgrow it. But like I said, we had assumptions. I had my assumptions and red flags, but I still did it because that's what I could afford at that time. So. So the advice was wait for perfect or wait for ideal instead of just do, do what you can with what you got. Right. And that, that advice is not a bad advice. It's just, I would never have done it then. Yes. Yeah. Often bad advice is good advice in a different context, right? That's like in your context, it was not good advice. You needed just to go for it. All right. Number three, what causes you currently the most stress or worry leading your organization? I do feel like, am I building a house of cards? Um, I feel like I, it's, it's a lot that that's happening. A lot of moving parts. We're caring for a lot of women. Um, we, I just want to be on top of the quality as well as the strategy. Um, so I just feel like this, is this too good to be true or is, am I on the right track? Totally. I, I, that keeps me up a, a, up a lot at night as well. It shouldn't. I need to write that down in my, in my notebook. <laughs> All right. Question number four. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? It is really taking walk into and care across the country in whatever form. Um, just and an absolutely standardize it in terms of um, Starbucks. You know, you get the same coffee in the middle of North Dakota or New York City. Yeah, that's. I don't want to equate healthcare to coffee, but the, I, I just mean in terms of quality and expectation. Yeah, I love that phrase. I'm sure you've got it written it down. Written down, by the way. But the standardizing the 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 quality care is phenomenal. Do you ever imagine it jumping the border, the American border, into Absolutely. Other countries? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love that. I was approached a few times here and there with women who just found my site um, to help them out. And we, we talked for quite a bit, but logistics just, you know, uh, comes in the way. So sure. Focusing on us for now. Sure. Love it. Okay. Question number five is our fun, creative question. You can take it however you will, but if you got a chance to hop into a DeLorean reference to back to the future and you get to go back to your past, but you can only tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you pass by. When are you going back? 
and what are you telling that younger version of yourself? That's that's cool. I love Back to the Future. Me too. That uh, it's it's all. Well, I should say I okay. Rephrase. It's all right. You know, I was I was the ugly duckling. I was the person who didn't get to go to parties because I was too busy studying for med school, and it did it did hurt. You know, it, it, there was that in, inner feeling of I'm losing out, which they call FOMO nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think if I had someone had told me it's all going to be all right, of course, my dad said, you know, you got to put in the labor now and then you're going to see the fruits of your labor. But it doesn't make sense. Sure, sure. Uh, I love that. Yeah, the last the last podcast guest actually uh, he, he, he got teary eyed. Uh, with a similar message to his his past self. I think he said eighth grade. He's like, I really needed to hear in eighth grade yeah. that everything was going to be okay and that I was going to make some some serious contributions to society. Yeah. And man, that's why I asked the question. I'm just always curious. Sometimes it's a mistake we want to avoid. Other times it's just like an encouragement we needed to hear uh, that we still likely still need to hear. That's why it comes up to our mind. Like I probably still need to tell myself. We all still need it because we're going to be okay. Yeah, we're taking risks every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, Dr. Gupta, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been a true pleasure, and I have learned a lot. So I, I appreciate you being on here and being willing to share your story and your wisdom with us. Well, Drew, thank you uh, so much for having me. It was an honor, um, and thank you for your insight and a few tips. You're welcome. We'll talk soon. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.